In partnership with Paizo, the No Direction Network welcomes you to our PaizoCon Online 2020 seminar coverage. While you enjoy your PaizoCon Online seminar coverage, remember that these were recorded online and that some minor audio and connection issues are to be expected. Yeah, so, so at this point, we have concluded what we have to say, and we're going to look through the comments on the board. Yeah, I have. I have been. And, uh, there haven't been very many yet. Okay. So now if you have questions or comments, this would be the time to post them, and uh, uh, let's see if we can uh, talk about any anything that you want to talk about. Yeah. I wanted to give a, a thank you specifically to... Uh, GM Lava Bean for taking notes throughout this. We really appreciate that. We know that that's been very that, that'll be very helpful to uh, other attendees of the panel. And it might it might seem like you know this panel was a little bit short, but we originally structured it to be an hour long. So you know we've we've got an hour for uh, for comments, questions. You know, uh, are there things that you have you know methods that you have found that have sped up combat or even just gaming in general in your groups? Okay, so I'll move the mic a little closer. Okay, so uh, King of Anything said, rather than what do you do, I find that outlining options for players that are stuck helps them understand their option space and land on a decision more quickly. Yes, actually. Um, so we had a, a younger player that was more used to, uh, his, his primary role-playing experience was Skyrim, where you've got a very set, you know, very set dialogue options. So we found that what, what do you do was kind of making him a little bit stuck because he wasn't used to having any option at all. So yes, we, we have found that, that sometimes saying, okay, you know, these are your options. You can like, like, you know, you can sneak in or you can blow open the wall or you can poison a guard, you know, it, you know, it can, it can help guide players to, to coming up with, with uh, solutions. All right. Um, up underscore B, do you have any online resources you particularly recommend for aiding and speeding up combats? Well, we um, short answer no. Uh, long answer is uh, we've only done done a little bit of online gaming, and we didn't care for it that much personally. We're not we're not saying that it's bad, but it didn't fit with our style as well. Uh, for that, the best I could recommend is to try and look through these options and figure out the ones that are most applicable, and hopefully uh, make those work for your group. If anybody here has suggestions of uh, so suggestions that are most applicable to online gaming. We're certainly willing to, to listen and share. All right. Um, let's see. Oh, do you have any advice on how to adapt any of these techniques to virtual tabletop playgroups that might not port directly? Player participation can be difficult with the GM. With the GM has these controls, players have these controls situation in most virtual tabletops. So again, our experience with virtual tabletops is limited. Yeah, I think I've probably participated in a, a few more than Christian has. And that was a long time ago. And I, I can't specifically say, um, you know, I, I think that that with those, because a lot of what we discussed won't really work. Um, I think it's going to be more of like the the communication uh, side of things, you know, of, of, okay, maybe you have to tell your players, okay, you know, the goblins have this armor class and the, these hit points. So, you know, have a piece of paper in front of you and, and write those numbers down. And then the GM at the start can say, okay, remind me again, what everybody's hit points are and armor class. And then they've got a sheet in front of them. All right. Let's see. 
you can make players GMs if that would help. We did that for Kingdom Building and Kingmaker. That is from GM Shannon. That's an interesting idea. Um, I know that for me, so I, um, Christian is the one who introduced me to to Dungeons and Dragons to start out with. And, um, you know, after I'd been a player for a little bit, I felt confident enough to give GMing a try. And it really taught me a lot about how to be a better player because seeing things from the other, other side of the screen, it's totally different. And, you know, th things that I, as a player, I'm like, oh, yeah, let's totally do that. As a GM, I'm like, why? Why did you do that? Why did, why did, oh, my, my big bad guy is, is dead now and I have to figure out how to deal with this. So it, it gave me a better understanding of difficulties that the GM has and how I as a player can help to mitigate some of that. Yeah, but for online gaming, what somebody said, uh, I think about how if you have some way of at least posting relevant stats, uh, some sort of board or note-taking device that can be shared, uh, that would at least help with uh, condition tracking and hit point tracking and stat tracking. And that's going to vary, vary between uh, what online system you're using. Okay, uh, up underscore B said, uh, regarding online tools, we've had a lot of success with PF2 tools, even when meeting in person. It makes spells, items, and stats tracking much easier to manage. Uh, that's not something that we're familiar with. So we'll definitely uh, look that up and see about you know, incorporating that into our gaming experience. Um, Randall says that, that uh, they do party loot initiative tracking via Google Sheets. It works just like they do on paper. Yeah, that's another um, excellent tool that could work in a, a virtual setting. Okay, oh, this is a good question. How do you handle updating the player nodes and summaries when abilities change? Do you just remind them to do that when they take their sheets home for leveling up? Uh, hopefully, yes. Uh, hopefully, when they level up, they update all of their appropriate things. Uh, that never quite happens. Uh, especially no, no, no matter who, who you are, you always forget something or other, especially as you get into high levels. But yes, my, my recommendation is when you level up, uh, try and go through all of your stats and make sure everything's up to date. Yeah. Um, I, you know, some players are going to be more invested in, in that than others, which um, segues into... Um, a question by Green Goat. How do you deal with players who long-term don't want to investigate the rules for playing their character? Good people playing at the table, but they don't like reading up on game homework. So um, I would recommend, you know, perhaps finding the, them, helping them to find somebody in the group that they can buddy with. Maybe you've got somebody that loves doing that research and spends hours, you know, building the backstory for their character and, and making sure that their abilities are, are all solid. You know, Maybe having somebody help them, you know, manage that aspect of their character. Because you know, I've I've played in in groups where you know improv and and in the moment role playing was much more important to the players than keeping track of all of the you know the damage and the and the stats and everything. So you know, and also you know, just having that conversation with you know if. A lot of your players are are like that. Maybe you need to have a conversation about okay, what kind of game do we do we want to run? Uh, my my advice about that is if the character has a lot of abilities that the player doesn't really want to investigate and figure out how to use properly, then that's the point where I might uh, say that maybe this is not the best character for you as a player. Uh, maybe a more simple character. Uh, like a fighter with a two-handed weapon that can, every round, they either make a full round of attack or they charge, and that's pretty much all they do. Uh, so there's there's not a lot of things that you have to memorize there. Yeah. That, that, that might be a better option. 
Like for example, you know, I so the campaign we're in right now is the first time I've really played a serious spellcaster, and I found that I actually probably, you know, spellcasting is probably not my thing because there's a lot more paperwork to it than a rogue or a fighter, which is what I usually play. So, you know, that was a learning experience for me that, okay, as a player, I enjoy playing characters that don't have such complicated rules because then my focus can be on, you know, my character engaging with the story. All right, let's see. Oh, assigning roles can also help with virtual tabletop play. Absolutely. Oh, um, yeah. uh, King of Anything says that, you know, they, they have someone to keep the collective note sheet, someone to make sure buffs are visible on the screen, someone to remind everyone to hydrate. That's an important job. Everybody should stay hydrated. <laughs> oh, uh, GM Lava Bean, do you have any tips on how to handle loot distribution and which character is carrying which items? My players always realize they didn't define who is carrying which potions until they need the potions. We have definitely had this issue in the past. Uh, for, for for the most part, we're pretty loosey-goosey with it most of the time. Uh, if if there are 20 potions of cure whatever wounds in party treasure, then we can usually assume that they're probably about evenly distributed among everybody. Uh, but for more exact things, uh, when the fighter gets knocked into the lava, knowing how much of the uh, party's loot is destroyed, uh, that, that honestly does get into a, a more complicated issue and unless you're a statistician or a math, mathematician and you want to do probability distributions based <laughs> on strength and carrying capacity for how likely items are to be carried by who, uh, I'm not sure that, uh, other than getting into a rabbit hole like that, I'm not sure that I have a really great uh, answer. Most of the time, though, when, it's, when it has come up, I, need to, I occasionally need to make assumptions for the players. Um, I may say that well, your character is attending church right now, so they don't—they're not wearing their weapons, they're not wearing their armor, they're not looking for a fight, so they didn't come ready for a fight. Um, but th that's about as far as I've gone most of the time, and I don't have a great answer. Yeah. So what we do is, you know, after the fight, we'll say if there's anything, uh, you know, unique. Okay, who who would like this item? Then everything else goes into party treasure, and yeah, it's just. Or like a theoretical, this is things that we have in, in general. Um, something that you might want to do is have a discussion with your group of, okay, how do we want to handle loot distribution? Do you, you know, do we want to be very specific about everything must be carried by a person? Or do we want to be like, okay, party treasure, you know, the, the collective party treasure is, you know, on a wagon that we have, or we've hired a couple of donkeys, that sort of thing. Oh, yeah. Wagons and donkeys, that is the poor man's uh, bag of holding. Uh, definitely get some of those. <laughs> yep. Uh, all right. Let's see. Yeah. Access to a shared document sheet is a great idea. Um, someone else said that uh, PF2 character tools makes item management super easy. Uh, let's see. Oh, uh, Z Hawkthorn. By the way, I'm, I apologize if I misspell your names or if I misspeak your names because I'm I'm having to 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 just read them here. It's a, uh, she said, my players have a donkey that they load up. It helps a ton. Oh, here we go. Uh, GM Lava Being. Any additional tips on GM PCing a character for a player who can't make a game session? Having each character write up their strategies and tactics is a good option. That is an excellent question. Uh, yeah, that was the uh, main thing that inspired us to uh, to get the tactics sheet is because we're our our game is very story oriented. So we can't just take a character out who's about to be be in a major dialogue with somebody that's important for their character arc. It, doesn't make any sense. Uh, so we needed a, the 
tactics sheets around so that the character could still be there even if the player was absent. So what what we'll usually do is, um, you know, we, we have various players that, that know each other outside of, of Pathfinder. And so oftentimes, you know, that person will volunteer to run, you know, the, their friend's character. Or, you know, I have enough experience running multiple characters and I might be like, okay, you know, I'll, I'll run um, Chris's character because she, you know, she can't make it. And, you know, okay, I skim over the tactics sheet before, you know, before we, we start the game. I'm like, okay, I have a basic understanding of how her character works. Uh, this is also where the spell summary becomes particularly important. If you cast Fireball all the time, then you probably have it memorized and don't actually need it written down. But if somebody's playing, going to be playing your character for you, or if the DM is playing your character for you, uh, then they don't want to spend a, a lot of time looking up how to do all of your spells. Uh, so having a brief summary and knowing that you always do Fireball uh, and Magic Missile will really help them figure that out. Uh, but that that's probably the best advice I have is that the better notes you take about your character and the tactics and spell summary and maybe even the reference sheet, uh, the more easily somebody and more quickly somebody can pick it up and just uh, run it without causing too much trouble. And that actually reminded me of something else that, that isn't directly related to combat, but it um, we found can help with, you know, um, getting players more invested in, in the, the game is we tend to have a lot of NPCs running around. And so, you know, giving an NPC to, to a, a player can oftentimes make them more interested in the story. And also, you know, it's like, okay, you know, th this, this NPC, you know, they may not be involved in combat, but, you know, we'll, we'll encourage, you know, more role playing. And, and um, also we found that players tend to remember the NPCs better because you know it's not just the gm okay you know uh oh, bob the merchant is is saying all of these things you know you can um maybe write down you know the, the npc's name and then maybe a little bit of their background so that may not work for everybody but it's something we've, we've tried a few times and people seem to enjoy it uh, and something that i have found uh that this is a little bit off topic but i'm going to share it anyways uh, is d is moving through player death without it becoming a long drawn out process Nobody likes having their character, sorry, character death, not player death. <laughs> yeah, no, hopefully, no. Hopefully your players don't die. Yeah. Uh, but characters do die sometimes. Yeah. Uh, but uh, one of the best ways we've found to deal with character death is if you roll on the table and the enemy rolled a critical hit and did max damage and the char character is just dead, and that's just how it is, uh, then if you have some NPCs around, then it can be really great to hand them an NPC and say, all right. Well, rather than me continuing to run Alexander the Squire, here, you, you you get to run Alexander the Squire for now until we figure out what happens with the character that just died. And that way, they still have something to do at the table, uh, and they still have some investment in the fight. Yeah, because it's really a bummer if, you know, your, your character dies like, okay, I guess I'm just going to sit here and watch the rest of this fight for the next hour and a half, you know. So, yeah, it, it helps them, you know, still feel like they, 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 they're involved in this. All right, let's see. Oh, <laughs> King of Anything said, one campaign I was in had the absent player's character spend quality time with the significant NPC. Yeah, actually, that can lead to some interesting role-playing opportunities. You know, um, you know that we, you have your, your absent characters going on side missions or, you know, picking up clues and locations that the main group of the bulk of the party just, you know, can't go and spend a whole session on. Oh, uh, 
th that comment, it does remind me of something else I'd meant to put in my notes but didn't, and that is another time-saving de device. We've all heard, don't split the party. Well, sometimes the party gets split. Uh, uh, sometimes the party does get split, and something that I found that can help with that situation is whoever split away from the main group of the party, it's usually one person that split away from the main group, uh, try and resolve their situation cinematically and very simply. Don't spend a lot of time on it. If their goal is to explore one half of the dungeon or to go back to town or whatever, then you can just say that, well, you... Uh, your character gets back to town uneventfully, and we're going to go back to the main group that's going to be dealing with fights and treasure and whatever. Uh, so you're not invalidating what they do, but you are discouraging it a little bit by not rewarding them for splitting the group. Yeah, and if you've got a player that does this consistently, that that is a signal that you may have to have a conversation with that player about, you know, is, is there something about the, the main story or the main campaign that you're not finding fulfilling or, or rewarding that, that, you know, maybe it's just that they want their character to go and be adventurous and, and scout all the things. Well, then that's a conversation you need to have with them and, you know, or possibly with the group as a whole to how can you, you know, without, without stifling them, you know, how can, how can you make that work for the, 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 the group as a whole. Yeah, and we're certainly not saying that you can't split the party a little. If the party split for five minutes, that's fine. Yeah. If the rogue is just going ahead to explore a little, that's fine. But uh, having a really major split where you're expected to spend half your time, half the session with one on with one side of the table and half the session with the other side of the table, I would really try and dis discourage that as much as possible. Uh, and another thing that you can do if somebody decides to go off on their own is say that, okay, you go off on your own. We'll resolve your stuff later. Uh, until then uh, you get to play Alexander, the squire who's staying with the main group. Yes. So that way the main group is not being punished for losing one of, one of the use, hopefully useful people. Uh, but you have still uh, acknowledged and uh, invalidated uh, the decision of that other person. And the player can still participate in the, the, the rest of the session. Yeah. Okay, so uh, GM Lava being asked, any advice for managing character downtime with your players in a meaningful way without spending lots of time on it? Um, We're actually doing that right now in our are. game. So uh, dealing with character goal management during this time, as well as managing the long periods of time in between adventures or plot development. That's a very good question, and that's something that that uh, Christian has come up with a few methods of of how to deal with that. Uh, yeah. So so currently, uh, since our group is is uh, taking a break because of COVID nineteen related things, this has also been a good time for the characters to go on uh, vacation. Uh, and as we have been able to meet, and as we meet again, uh, we're going to be dealing with situations where. It's largely up to them to tell me. So I'm going to ask them, what are your, what things are your characters doing while during this downtime? And then I can craft, craft not not full length quests, but mini quests related to that. Uh, one of them, uh, let's see. Uh, I'm trying to think of a good example, but uh, figure out what their interests are and craft a mini quest that may not even involve any fights. But maybe there will be a mystery to solve. Maybe there will be somebody pursuing them that they need to make some 
skill checks to evade safely and uh, make sure that you're not don't kill them just from a bad dice roll that isn't even in combat so cheat a little if you have to but uh, giving them some mini quests um has seemed to to make it feel like they're still doing something important we'll stop also being on vacation yeah and you know so more short term you know involving okay so you know you've, you've all rolled into town you know we, we asked the question what what do you do we found that uh we we tend to have groups with a lot of newer players so the first several times that we did that everybody just kind of like oh like i i can I, I can decide what my character does. Well, I don't know, like what options are there? So um, like was mentioned before, you know, giving your players some options. Okay, okay, you know, these are the the people that are in town, you know, reminding the the players of, you know, these are these are the 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 main plots that that you're following. And oh remember, you know, remember that, you know, this NPC is in this town, so you might want to go um talk to him. And you know, there's there's a a blacksmith in town that that specializes in magic armor so maybe you want to check that out so yeah yeah uh yeah t telling them describing the town well enough so that they know what's appropriate and uh crafting some mini quests that apply to their goals uh i, I think is what i would recommend the most mm -hmm. uh, green goat said having players write a paragraph for more of downtime narrative between games makes it fun absolutely and you know if you've got players that that love to get really get into the backstory of their character, and that's what makes the game enjoyable for them. Yeah, you know, definitely encourage that. Um, you know, maybe you know set a length limit so you don't have them reading five pages of of, of what they did in between combat or or in between sessions. But yeah, absolutely, be like you know, get you know, give me a couple paragraphs on what what did your character do. Yeah, good old Alexander the Squire. Yeah, he's he's a favorite of ours. He's a he was an NPC that we, that our group picked up, and he's just been. Kind of adventuring along with us and and uh we've gone quite attached to him uh, do we prefer xp or milestone leveling up a question from rather dashing i i kind of do both i i try to craft my adventures so that they will reach the experience they need to level up at the point that the next big thing in the story happens and that also makes it easy to to break for leveling up so you know we'll have a major you know conflict and you know we've gone all out and okay so you know the players and the characters need a bit of a break so then it's like okay you know we've leveled up and so you know we can kind of you know relax a little bit and so um what, what christian does is, is he he plans out okay you know this encounter has this much experience and this encounter has this much experience and then you know how much experience does it take to get to the next level and so he you know places combat such that Again, we we tend to level up in in between cinematic uh, cinematically appropriate times. So let's see, let's see if I'm, I'm gonna scroll up and see if I missed any questions. That yeah, uh, looking at the the what somebody asked about how to define where uh, treasure and loot are kept. Uh, the if that's an issue for you, then you may just have to allocate the loot after each fight, or say that. Something that is not claimed is just in the party's wagon, on the party's donkey, wherever they're keeping their the stuff that isn't on a character sheet. Yeah, question from GM Lava being, any advice for dealing with character death? Do you allow it to divert the party adventure or quickly deal with it or find a replacement? We've kind of done both because um, like for me, I don't usually mind if my character dies because I'm very invested in the drama of things. and. 
And, you know, for me, it makes it exciting if there's the chance that my character could could die. So some, you know, we've had a couple of, of character deaths where it was just, you know, it, where, where it was cinematically, you know, it, like we knew we were going into a major fight and that, you know, death could happen. And so, you know, we might take a moment to let the characters react to that. You know, um, other times, um, you know, like we said, it was something that, that, you know, will will be dealt with outside of combat. So then we, you know, hand them an NPC. Um, there was another one, I think, where the, the dice just, I'm trying to think There have been three times where you've been killed by the dice. Yes. And so, um, you know. But, but uh, more, more to the point of how to, how to deal with the character death. Do I allow it to divert the party or whatever? Normally the answer is I, I try to deal with it quickly. The first, the first response after the character is either unconscious or dead uh, is uh, once they no longer have, once the player no longer has something useful to do in combat, that's the point where I'll hand over an NPC to them. Uh, and it's, this is one of the reasons why I keep extra NPCs around is as replacement characters uh, in a pinch. Um, NPCs can also be really interesting also be really useful if the players need a clue there's something that you put in the story that seemed obvious but the players aren't getting it uh the npc can get it and guide them in the right direction uh but they can also be a replacement when a character dies and i try to keep the game moving quickly after character death i don't let it become a diversion um if i have to i think i've only had to do this once or twice i've said that well, you guys are level two. You really can't get a healer to bring him back to life. So you have a funeral, and you send and you uh, send his treasure and gear to his closest uh, kin. Yeah, we we had a, a a dwarf that that his twin brother, whose whose name was uh, off by one letter. No, I don't don't want to go into oh, him. Yeah. Uh, that 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 was an example of bad character behavior. That's true. That was that was a that was a different um, si- situation. But uh, I, I do something kind of odd when characters die, and that is whatever stuff they had with them, uh, I don't give that to the rest of the party. I say that that goes to their next of kin, and that the new character, whoever really replaces them, is going to have their own equipment. And we find that that, that can really speed things up, and it can really avoid a lot of you know hurt feelings and, you know, well, you know, I've had that sword since I was level two, and we're level, you know, 16 now, and, you know, well, I guess it's gone now. So, you know, we, we find that it really helps to smooth things over. Yeah, but you do what's best for you. That's just uh, what I do is uh, I like to keep deaths short and sweet and uh, move on as quickly as possible. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Zia Hawthorne Hock- said, milestones can help with keeping the leveling even as well. If a player misses a session and misses XP, I don't want them leveling at a different time than everyone else. It's simpler if everyone moves up together and keeps it even to track. And that is absolutely true. We found that, uh, you know, cause I've played in a game where everybody got XP individually and it just, it was a mess. Part of it was our, our group was enormous. We had nine players, but yeah, you know, well, well, it's awesome to reward, you know, little bonus experience for, Oh, you know, you, you, did some really great role playing, have ex- some experience, give, you know, little in-game rewards instead, you know, things that, that make a pro- make sense cinematically. So let's say that your bard made a, had a wonderful performance check to, a, um, you know, to distract a crowd. Maybe that the crowds uh, give 
give them a few coins or something. But yeah, keeping everybody leveling at the same rate just really simplifies things. Yeah, I, I keep track more of party experience rather than individual experience. Even if uh, people miss some sessions, uh, that it's easier to justify that their character levels up because somebody was playing the character. And even if nobody's playing the character, I would just rather have everyone level up at the same time. Yeah, because I mean, life happens. Sometimes, you know, your your kid gets sick or your car breaks down and you can't make it to the game. We don't want to punish players for that. Now, if player absenteeism becomes an issue, then again, that's that's when you want to have maybe sit down and have, have a conversation with your player of, you know, is there a way that we can make this work better for you? Or maybe this isn't a good time um, in your life to, to be gaming. And we never want, I mean, it's always hard to, to, to have to, to let a player go from your group, but you know, sometimes, you know, life happens, you know, we had, we've had players move, we've had players, you know, start up school, um, have new kids. And so then, you know, gaming just isn't, isn't, um, you know, a, a good, it's not a good time in their lives to be gaming. Oh yeah. It was definitely a nightmare. It got, it got very chaotic. <laughs> Uh, GM Shannon said, you know, the husband is running nine people through War for the Crown. We're using a society style item system and milestone leveling. It's interesting. I, I'm, I'll have to look into what the society style item system is. I'm not familiar with that. Yeah. So um, again, you know, a lot of the methods that we discussed can really help, you know, with larger groups. I think the most players we've had is seven. I think seven or eight, at least seven. And so, you know, a lot of these things, these methods that we've come up with for, for speeding up combat, especially, but the game in general, like we had to come up with them out of necessity because nobody wants to be in a fight for four and a half hours. And then that's your session. Uh, Darth Bink asked, do you step in if a player is freezing on their turn? Do you enforce a time limit for turns? Uh, yes and no. We've, we've done time limits before. Um, but we found that, you know, players that are newer or that, that don't have um, a lot of experience, you know, with, with combat, you know, that that can actually make things more difficult for them. So um, I would say if you've got a mix of newer players or maybe players that aren't as new but are still uncertain and, you know, veteran players, maybe tell the veteran players, okay, you know, you know, because... As a veteran player myself, sometimes I like to talk, you know, discuss out the strategy of what I'm going to do, you know, maybe saying that, you know, for, well, I don't know. So, so uh, what I like to do is if it's a newer player, of course, you go easier on them and try and help them uh, give them informed advice to know what to do. If it's somebody who's playing around on their phone or otherwise just is taking a long time, then what I typically do is... I say, all right, uh, you figure out what you're going to do. Until then, we're just going to keep going with combat. And that really incentivizes them to pay attention because otherwise they're going to miss their turn. Yeah, so uh, so even if they get a little bit out of order because they weren't paying attention, uh, as soon as they figure out what they're going to do, then they can do it. And I don't reassign them a new initiative order. I don't make it a permanent penalty, uh, but I, I do at least give them a little bit... I, I, I do make it a little bit of a penalty and I don't want to punish the entire group by ma making the entire group wait for them because they weren't prepared. Um, and also that can help with, you know, again, I, one of my characters as a spellcaster, sometimes I'm looking up a lot of very complicated rules and Christian will say, okay, you know, while, you know, while you're doing that, I'll come back to you and, and, you know, he'll 
finish the round and then he'll come back and say, okay, you know, so have you figured out what you're doing yet? And usually by then I'll have figured it out or said, oh, you know, that's too complicated. I'm going to go with something more simple. Uh, Rather Dashing says, I try to, I tried to tell the PC on deck a uh, quick reminder. You're up next. Think about what you want to do. Yes, we've also found that that can be helpful because bat- you know, uh, combat can be chaotic and it can sometimes be difficult to keep track of whose turn it, it, it actually is. You know, initiative trackers help, but sometimes you know you're you're focused on looking up your rules and abilities and and not necessarily listening to everything that that's being said. Yeah, and if if you can. If you can artificially manipulate the initiatives to block the characters and uh, monsters together, so you move one player up and another player down sort of thing, so it's still evened out. Uh, If you have three players all going at the same time, then that's fine. It doesn't really matter which exact order they go in as long as there's uh, not too much chaos. Uh, In that way, if one of them is a little slower than the others, you're still getting stuff done. Uh, while the other one is trying to figure their things out. So you don't lose as much time that way. Mm-hmm. Let's see if I missed any questions. I see some people typing. Uh, Zaya Hawthorne says, I'll call a break if I'm losing a lot of player focus, or if one player is distracted enough, ask them if we need to pause. Sometimes a, a fiver is the difference between focused or off-center. And I absolutely agree that sometimes, you know, especially, you know, a lot of times gaming happens in the evening, people sometimes get tired and and, you know, Combat is a very, you know, intellectually intensive environment. Sometimes you do just need to take a break and it's like, okay, think, you know, we're all having difficulty. So let's just take a break. Let's get some food, some water. You know, let, let's maybe talk about social things, you know, that, that aren't related to the game. And then, you know, everybody comes back, you know, is re- refreshed and, and able to, to get back into things. Uh, GM Shannon says, we don't keep any items found. Instead, we get gold at the end of the session. Uh, you can purchase a copy of anything the party found. You can use anything, including potions, during the session, and it will still be available to purchase at the end. We do get to keep story slash key items. That's an interesting way of doing things. That um, There is one GM I know that, that that did things that way, that rather than items, you just get gold, and then you know people can buy the, the items that they, they need or want, and you know it's available for them to purchase. So... Yeah, that's that's a, an interesting way of doing things, and it can also alleviate, you know, that it can also help the treasurer because now they don't have like eight pages of random items that need to be sold, and you need to find out, you know, does the blacksmith in town even carry these and and whatnot? Yeah, I'll bet it worked really well with nine players. When you've got that many people, then yeah, you're gonna have a lot of items bouncing around, and so yeah, we use a lot of unique items uh, that are are often tied into players' stories and storylines. So I'm not sure if that would work with us, but sometimes uh, we we do get to the end of a dungeon. I realize that they haven't gotten enough treasure, so I'll just give them a load of gold and they can buy what they want with it. Yeah, we'll, we'll tally up, you know, how much treasure we got as opposed to, you know, how much we should have at this level and, and you know, make up the difference. Let's see. I see people typing. Oh, I need some water. Oh, I drank all mine. Oh, thank you. I need someone to remind me to hydrate. <laughs> Let's see. Pro tip, hydrate. Yes, hydrate always, especially the GM. You know, I, when I've GM'd, you know, I'm so involved in like making sure that, I mean, for, for me as a GM, it feels like being on, on stage, you know, that I'm, I'm running things and I'm like, I'm, I am too busy to focus on, you know, you know, I'm, I'm talking and I'm, I'm, gesturing and stuff and so sometimes i do need people to remind me to to hydrate or to to 
get a, get snacks because I'm when I'm working, I'm I'm working. <laughs> See if we missed any group doesn't usually worry about loot location for minor things. We just pull them magically out of the air. However, it's theirs for the rest of the combat. I like that. Yeah, sometimes it's just it's just easier to to hand wave the the you know some of the party inventory aspects because you know having everybody pay careful attention. Okay, so my character can hold this much and they can drag this much and and you know unless you have a, a group that really enjoys that that level of bookkeeping, it can slow things down. Get a wagon. Yeah, get a wagon. <laughs> magical wagon. Um, that, but- it doesn't even need to be magical. Just get get a donkey and a wagon. Yeah. All right. Um, see if there's any more questions in the next couple of minutes. Yeah. Um, you know, again, you know, the, the various methods that we talked about, um, you know, was, you know, the, the, we found that they work for the, the group of, of people that we're gaming with right now. And, you know, we've had to change some things of players of, as players have come and gone. And so, you know, again, absolutely take what, what you think will work for your group. And if it doesn't, that's totally fine. Oh, you're you're very welcome. We're we're glad that uh, we gave you some some new things to think about. Oh, we have a question from Marissa. Uh, I hope this is a relevant question for the discussion. I'm running an AP for a group, and I suspect one player is reading ahead. For example, bringing up a special item in the area yet to be explored. How can I maneuver around that or discourage it? Oh, that's not something we've run into because we have we've we don't run adventure paths. Uh, so if I if I sus- I'm not as hard of a DM as a lot of people would be. Uh- on suspected cheaters. And one of the big problems with cheaters is it's usually hard to prove that they're cheating, but I would change things. Uh, if, if the item is needed for some specific thing and they have the item ahead of time that you think that they probably, it was extremely lucky for them to get that very <laughs> specific item. If you know what I mean? Uh, then I might go ahead and change uh, the, the thing that it's needed for. Now, it- um, if, if they have the sword of fire giant slaying and it's only good against fire giants um, uh, and that seems really suspicious, then I might change those fire giants to frost giants or hill giants or stone giants or something. Uh, and uh, Now, granted, uh, we, we don't run Pathfinder Society, so I don't know if there are rules about how much you can deviate from the adventure path. So, you know, I'm not sure if that will be a, a useful suggestion or not. Um I would say, you know, again, that, that that would be a place to have a conversation with the player and, you know, maybe find out, you know, so what what is it that you want to get out of the game? You know, if, you know, some people like to, to read ahead and, and know what's coming, but if so, then, you know, what what it, what is it that you're getting out of the gaming experience that you can't get just from, from reading the module? Okay, uh, GM Lava Being says, organized pl- play holds players regarding playing an adventure or playing an adventure they have uh, GM to strict no spoilers behavior. Okay, so that it sounds like there are rules in place for for the society specifically. Yeah, but since I do, uh, since I, I only do homebrew adventures, except for pulling parts from other... Oh yeah, that's another thing that can speed up uh, game design is... Uh, uh, if you're making your own homebrew adventure, you don't need to make 100% of it yourself. If you find adventures that have useful things, then go ahead and just pull out that useful thing and use it in your homebrew as you need it. Yeah. Oh, Randall says that adventure best cannot be run with or for society characters, but if you complete them, you can apply credits towards a Pathfinder Society character. Okay. So, yeah, again, we're just not very familiar with uh, the society rules. So, oh, GM Lava being any tips for managing maps? 
for combat. Um, so I'm not sure whether you mean like like the the map that you see like that you're questing on or the map that you're like doing combat on the the grid. Uh, as far as managing maps, that was actually one of the things that discouraged me from doing further online gaming. Mm. I found that it took me too long to make a map that uh, was to my liking. Uh, as far as ma- managing maps for combat, um, I, I usually am, if I can put on some decorations, that's nice. But usually I don't spend a whole lot of time uh, managing maps for combat. Um, may, maybe if you reword your question, I, I can understand sure. what you're trying to get at a bit more because I'm not sure if I understand. I mean, oh, I, oh, hate, I, I hate to draw everything out every time and I would like to manage things quicker. Oh, uh, how, much, how much of your maps to prepare ahead of time? Um, it depends. So we do have, we've got a few different like map options. We've got our, um, you, you saw in our, our PowerPoint, you know, we've got just a flat grid map that we've, Scribble on with uh, wet erase, dry erase. I don't remember. Wet erase. Wet erase markers, and we tend to keep things very loose. Like there's a box. Okay, that's that box is a desk. We we all know it's a desk. Yeah. So so I use the wet erases, and I I'm a bit of a minimalist as far as okay. Here here's the perimeter of the room. Here's anything that's that you can't run through, and here are the monsters, and go. Yeah, and then as far uh, as like unless I, unless I'm feeling more decorative, if it's a big important fight, then I may put more decorations around. Um, something that we do, if let's say it's a, a place that we keep coming back to, we've got some uh, map tiles that that we purchase. That okay, we slap down a map tile of here is an in room, and okay, so you know we're just going to assume that all ends are the same on the inside. So if a bar fight breaks out, we're not going to have to draw the whole thing out. Okay, here you are in the in room. Um, you know, another option. Oh, uh, Green Goat said buy a couple of cheap flip mats and draw ahead of time. Yeah, that's very useful for, again, if you have recurring locations. Yeah, but for, for me, I usually don't draw out things a lot ahead of time. I have my master map of the dungeon, which tells me the shape and size of the, a room. And usually when the fight starts, I'll just draw out that perimeter on my wet erase board and that's usually the map they have to deal with unless there's some reason why more detail is needed yeah um jim love to be again how much of your maps do you prepare ahead of time so we just answer that and and what do you use to determine how much detail to add to a map um it really i think it probably depends mostly on how important the fight is if it's just a real quick skirmish you know it's you and, and a bunch of skeletons and you know, the, the room boundaries or the hallway, it's not really important. We just throw down the the uh, the, the square mat, uh, grid and, you know, just, okay, you know, the fight shouldn't take more than 30 minutes, so we're not going to invest a lot of time in it. However, for the really big cinematic stuff, what we do is um, you know, we, we've got little... Some of those, some of the really big fights I'll draw out ahead of time. Yes. Um, you know, something else, we, we do have uh, a handful of terrain pieces that we might use to, to decorate the uh, the board with. We don't tend to go too heavy on terrain because that can block line of sight for, for your characters. Um, but something else that we do is um, maybe we'll, we'll have um, some just fun little uh, paper cutouts of things that we can throw down on onto the map. Uh, Darth Blinks, you can freehand draw shapes in Roll20, for example. Oh, I'd forgotten about that. It's been a while since I played in that. Uh, minimalist maps like that have worked really well for my groups when we've been gaming remotely because of COVID. And that's a good point that, you know, especially for if you're gaming virtually, you want to keep things very simple. Um, you know, encourage your, your players to use their imagination. It's like, okay, this squiggly green blob, that's a tree. Just we're, 
we're just going with it. <laughs> You'll just have to use your imagination that this that this oval is a horse. So um, you know, any you know, if if you find that that helps to speed things up, then you know, just go full stick figures. A green goat. I have tried running multiple adventures using the same pie as a dungeon map as a personal challenge, rotating the entry and renaming the rooms. Oh, nice. Yeah, we've got a couple of uh, of Piazza Dungeon flip masks that we that we've pulled out for unique dungeons. Yeah, go go ahead and uh, reuse dungeon tiles and just move them around a bit and make them work because ultimately the exact geometry of your dungeon probably isn't going to make that big of a difference to your overall story. Yep. Oh yeah, text labels are good for quick stuff. Draw a circle and add the wood tree. Wood tree. Yeah, absolutely. So. Um, I think we're going to wrap it up there to give people a few minutes to get to their, their next event if it starts at two. But we would like to thank you all very, very much for coming to our panel and uh, for being patient with us as we've been figuring this out. This is our first time doing a, a virtual panel. So uh, hopefully uh, you all enjoyed it and uh, learned at least one new thing to try. So yes, thank you for all your, your questions as well. Yeah, take care, everyone. Be safe. No Direction Network's PaizoCon Online 2020 seminar coverage was made possible by the KDCon team, consisting of Jefferson J. Thacker, also known as Param, Ryan Costello, Alexander Gunis, Vanessa Hoskins, Randall Meyer, Dustin Knight, and John Godek. Special thanks to Paizo's social media producer, Peyton Smith, and the entire Paizo staff. For more great Pathfinder, Starfinder, and other RPG news, reviews, podcasts, and blogs, check out NoDirectionPodcast.com.